Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. I am here with our producer, Dylan Carnival, our co-host, John Amayo, and our guest interviewer, Ben Sternke. Ben is a founder and also a podcast host for Gravity Leadership. We had uh, one of his teammates on, Matt Tebby, and so we're very excited to talk with him today. Just as a reminder, the Why God Why podcast exists to ask the questions that you don't feel comfortable in church. And today, the question that we're asking is, why is it so hard to grieve with others? Before we introduce Ben and get to know him, let's... um, what do you think, John? What are some of your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think the this is a question that's come to the forefront of a lot of our minds recently. Um, certainly, when it comes to the idea of race and and some of the national grieving that we're doing, and and you kind of watch some people enter that process, and others kind of stay on the sideline of that. So I think in 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 that way, we all realize that this is true. That, that it is difficult to grieve with others at times. Um, but it's not just the idea of, of race. It also goes well beyond that. I was just having a conversation with somebody uh, a couple of days ago who uh, kind of called me in the midst of grief in their life. Mm. And um, knowing how to respond in the midst of those situations is not always easy. And I feel like it takes a lot of training and it takes a lot of um, internal like awareness of where we are at as we're engaging in grief with other people. So I think this is going to be a fantastic conversation and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. How about you? Yeah. You know, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we use the word grief, but some of you have probably heard the word lament, Mm -hmm. you know, what does it really mean to lament? And it's so funny. We're treating feelings with facts mm. and and that's just not kind of the way to I have a I have a two-year-old daughter when she gets hurt you know and she gets a cut on her knee I can't sit there and be like hey you know what your knee's gonna heal because your skin's created in such a way to do that no I I sit with her and as I think about you know the racial conversations that we're having mm-hmm. you know and you know we're talking with marvin mumford later on we're talking with gavin brown we've had this conversation with chloe and zipporah sparkman and the reason why i think it's great to have ben here ben provides a pastoral presence but he's also been very engaged in this conversation because i feel like the missing link whether you call it grief lament or mourning is we rush to solutions or we mm-hmm. rush to facts without kind of sitting with our brothers and sisters that are dealing with this. Yeah, love that. Love that. So welcome, Ben, to the conversation. We're so thankful to have you here. Thanks for joining us. And uh, yeah, this is great to have you have you with us. It's great to be with you. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's jump right on in, shall we? Jump into the deep end, as we say. Let's uh, do it. This let's is, jump in. This is great. <laughs> uh, you know, grief is not one of those things that's real easy to talk about. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. you know, for some of us, we would ra- much rather not engage in it. Um, yeah. But we always like to kind of go a little bit deeper with our guests and and ask about your life as well. So Mm, have there been times where you've had to deal with grieving personally in your own life um, and walk through a season of grief for you? Yeah. I mean, a a couple things come to mind, a couple, um, you know, grief, grief can be big 
you know, big, big, obvious grief. And it can be, you know, there can be smaller things that, that you grieve. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple things that were big for me in my life, um, was, uh, when I was 25, my dad died, mm. uh, of a, of a heart attack. He was only 50 years old. It was completely unexpected. It was shocking. Uh, you know, nobody was, you know, expecting anything like this. And so, um, so that, that has been since, you know, that was almost uh, 20 years ago. And that has been something that has, um, you know, I've gone through the, the stages of grief over and over, mm. uh, again, um, it kind of hits me in unexpected ways. Um, one of the first things I was just uh, talking with my mom, uh, last night about this. One of the first things that I noticed that I, that I needed to grieve about my dad was, um, I didn't realize how, how much of an instinct it was for me to call him when I ne- needed help with something. You know, I was only, I was just in my twenties. I just started a family. I just got married. I had, you know, questions every other day about, you know, just all the adulting, you know, trying to figure out how to be an adult person mm. in the world. And, um, I called him often about that and, uh, I didn't realize how much I relied on him until the first time something happened after he died where I thought, Oh, I'll call my dad, mm. you know, and you, you sort of reach for the phone and you're like, Oh, I can't call my dad. Um, and so that, you know, there's a deep sense of loss in my life, obviously my dad, yeah. but then, you know, these, these little things, these little times when you notice, Oh, that was one thing I really, you know, uh, relied on him for. So, mm. so anyway, it was a huge loss for me. He was a, you know, I, I trusted his wisdom. He was a really good dad and, um, you know, he, he left too soon. So yeah. Yeah, I, could, every could, once in a while, wonder what he'd be like as a 70 year old, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Thanks for sharing that. I, I mm-hmm. really appreciate you being vulnerable and bringing us into that. Like I, I'm kind of imagining you even in that moment, as you say, like a 25 year old and, and realizing mm-hmm. that you're calling your dad for advice. And then that first time not having him there. Yeah. Can, can you, if you're comfortable though, if you're not, don't, don't worry about it. But can, can you bring us back to that moment for you? Can you remember that moment where you realize, Hey, I'm, mm-hmm. I, uh, this is the situation that I want to bring my dad into, but he's not there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, um, you know, I, I remember that impulse, uh, to call and ask for some advice, ask him what he thought. Um, and just remembered the pain, you know, I've heard it said that grief, uh, you know, you you'd said uh, earlier that, you know, grief, lament, you know, mourning, you know, that these words kind of mean sometimes we use them in the same way. But, um, the other thing I've heard is that grief is just pain. Mm. Lament is, like how to deal with your pain, like what to do with your pain. And so, um, mm. that's been helpful for me to just recognize, like, I, I don't control the grief. Mm. I don't control when it, when it happens, it's just pain. And the first part of lament is just recognizing the pain. So I think, you know, thinking back to that moment when I first realized that I couldn't, uh, ask my dad, uh, for advice, I think that's what I immediately felt was just pain. I'm mm. just like, Oh, like, where am I going to get this? And I remember, um, you know, the, the other thing that comes to mind as you ask that question is just, I remember, uh, unconsciously trying to get it from other people in my life, uh-huh. you know, unconsciously asking them a question, putting it out there. And I only realized after they couldn't give it to me, like no, nobody else ever filled this role in my life. And so mm-hmm. after people responded in ways that I was like, Oh, that's, that's disappointing. 
or you didn't respond in a way that actually helps me. Mm. Um, then I, I felt that again, you know, just realizing, Oh, this is a, like, I have to let go of this. Like this is a loss in my life. I'm not getting this advice that would have been really good for me to get. I don't have his presence in my life and that would have been good. And I think the, the process of lament and mourning is just the process of, it's hard because you have to acknowledge that you are indeed losing something that was good and precious and helpful to you. And so, yeah. You know, I, I want to sit with that for a little bit because again, we're, we're having this discussion because of the current events. Um, right. How, you know, on the gravity leadership podcast, I've seen it in the articles. Um, mm -hmm. I got your Friday link email. I love it. You know, mm -hmm. how does that, what you just shared shape the way that you communicate and teach about lament in your role? And I, I believe you're also a pastor, correct? Yeah. 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 So Matt, Matt and I, Matt, who you mentioned earlier, uh, has been on this podcast. He and I actually co-pastor together, mm. uh, a church here in the Indianapolis area. So yes, um, that is a, a deeply shaping, uh, aspect of my life. Um, the fact that I, you know, I, I have people that I'm speaking to and leading and discipling regularly. Um, are you asking how my experience of having to go through grief affects the way that I talk about it with others? Is that what you're saying? Oh yeah. And you know, okay. I just, I, I think, cause part of what happens, you know, whether we think about racism or losing a parent, um, mm -hmm. I, I guess as Americans, we so want to jump to the solution and we yeah. so, and even what you were saying, I was asking things from people that they didn't, they couldn't offer me. And I'm just kind of yeah. wondering what you're seeing in this cultural moment on a personal, but also as a leadership level. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big question. And, um, you, I think you're right to connect those two dots because the, I, I, I do think there is a connection between, you know, the, the grief that I went through just losing my dad and learning how to process that and the grief that are like, uh, brothers and sisters of color have been experiencing for decades and the trauma and that kind of thing. And that we as white people, I mean, it's just white people on this call here right now, but we as, uh, we as white people have, have, uh, not been able to hear those stories. Um, and I think there's a big, I think our inability to hear those stories and mourn with, uh, our brothers and sisters of color, I think it is related to like the same kind of difficulty that we have grieving anything, mm. uh, letting go of anything. Um, and I think it's, I mean, it's partly because we've been discipled. We don't realize this, but we've been discipled into a spirituality that's more American than it is Christian. Mm. Um, and we like in America and in the West in general, we like progress. We like improvement. We like solutions. As you were saying, we want the graph to go up and to the right. You know, we want, we want to, to know, oh, here, this, this proves God's been at work is things are getting better. Everything's okay now. Uh, we, you know, we were sad for a couple seconds, but <laughs> thanks be to God. You know, we said a few magic words and it's all better now. Um, there's a author we recently recorded a podcast episode with called KJ Ramsey. She's got a book called This Too Shall Last. I will commend it to you. It's, it's, uh, uh, her interview hasn't come out yet, but it's a great book. But in that book, she says this, the unspoken story of Western culture is that suffering is a problem we can avoid or annihilate if we work hard enough. Wow. And I think, I think that we jump to that because it, it, 
it's, it's painful and it's, it's difficult to live in that pain. And I think we've just been discipled into a spirituality where we think something must be deeply wrong. If I'm encountering a problem or a loss that I can't do anything about, I can't make myself feel better. I can't fix this. I can't Mm. find a solution. I think it sends us into a panic. We, we are afraid that that means God's not real or with us or, you know, I think, I think that's, that's, I think that's part of it. And I'll say this too. I think another reason, and you mentioned, you know, the racism aspect of this. So I think another reason that it's hard specifically for white people to grieve and to mourn with our brothers and sisters of color is that I think that we know that if we do that, like it means dealing with our complicity in, in the whole thing. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of people nowadays and I rejoice in this in one sense, you know, white people nowadays say, I just didn't know. Mm. I just didn't know, you know? And so there is a lot of sort of awakening happening right now. Um, but you know, I, I, th- I also think that there is a sense in which what we could have known, <laughs> you know, like the, the information was there and we could have known, mm. but I, I do think that there are these, 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 these subtle forces in our lives. Um, the, the impulse for, you know, how many times have I thought in the last, you know, three months, I just want everything to go back to normal, mm-hmm. you know, and in one sense, that's an understandable impulse, but on another, in another sense, like that's the resistance to grieving. Mm-hmm. I just want it to go back to normal. But then I realize, Oh, my normal, you know, as a white person is, is, you know, fairly affluent, comfortable, you know, I don't have to worry about the, you know, these things, but for me to actually enter into solidarity with my brothers and sisters of color, um, specifically black people right now, that does involve like a, an owning of my complicity, a repenting of the fact that I have been ignorant, that it has been convenient for me to stay ignorant and that I haven't known. And that sort of convenient ignorance has actually caused some of the suffering Mm. that, you know, my, my brothers and sisters of color have experienced. So anyway, that's another reason it's hard to grieve (laughs) when it comes to racism, I think. So, it's hard to repent. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you said so much in that that I just want to <laughs> delve into. You know, I mean, just so much in there. I, I think about kind of your your contrast of just enough information, right? You know, if we if if yeah. if we would have just depended on the information, I think sometimes we can we can we can kind of lean on that really heavy and go, yeah. um, oh, you know, if I just have a little more information, then I can be convinced. But mm. it seems to me one of the biggest things that we lost and that we need to repent of is not listening to the relationships that we had in yeah. our lives, you know, yeah. kind of like th- those those people, you know, many of us, hopefully pe- we all have people of color in our lives who we can listen to and, and hear their experience and yeah. and come alongside of. But for many of us, yeah. that hasn't been the norm. You know, to just yeah. sit and listen. Yeah. Um, and that's a discipleship issue. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, and we, we just, uh, this just this morning, I'll talk about another podcast interview we haven't released yet. But um, just this morning, we recorded um, an interview with a guy named David Swanson. I don't know if you know him. He wrote a book called Rediscipling the White Church. Um, and I just saw a quote uh, from one of my friends that, um, one of my friends on Facebook quoted David. But he says this, one of our biggest discipleship issues is that we don't believe when sisters and brothers in Christ tell us this has been my experience. Mm. 
Hmm. Who do we, who do I trust more? My preferred media hmm. or my brother and sister in Christ? And so I, I think, I think you're right. It's a discipleship issue that we need to read 18 books and, you know, discover 14 more stats when like someone that we are actually organically connected to a brother or sister in Christ, they're part of God's church. They're in front of us saying, this has been my experience with the police. Right. And we're like, well, that doesn't sound like my experience with the police. I'm going to read 18 books about it and you know, I'll mm-hmm. see if you're right. I, I think it's a discipleship issue that we haven't just listened to them and said, oh, that isn't my experience with the, with the police. Let me sit with you in that. Let, let me discover something that I don't know and perhaps be able to stand in solidarity with you and grieve with you, you know, wh- what, what has happened here. And, you know, I think out of, you know, maybe getting ahead of things here, but I think out of that grief, out of that lament can come creativity, can come justice, mm. can come, you know, it, even solutions, you know, to, to some of these things. Um, but I, I think it comes through the valley of grief. It, we don't get to fly over the valley. Yeah. We don't get to just skip to it. We don't get to go through a time machine or, you know, go through a portal that just takes us quickly to the end of the story. We have to go through that valley and shed some tears and experience some pain, I think. Mm, wow. Wow. Again, more there, more depth there. <laughs> I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering for you personally, and, and, and I think for some of us, what I'm convinced of lately has been that for many of us, we learn by examples, right? We learn by yeah, examples yeah. in our life. We learn yeah. by the vision that we see or people talking about things. Um, if, so for you, what are some of those examples that for you, in your experience with grief, people who hmm. maybe you can look to and go, man, this person really, you know, I mean, nobody does this perfectly walking alongside of people, but somebody that you would yeah. say, this yeah. person walked alongside me well in grief. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'd say, you know, I mean, and I mentioned this earlier, this isn't just about my dad's death, that's something that profoundly impacts me, you know, I think every day. Uh, but we've, we've gone through some really, uh, painful ministry experiences, um, you know, that kind of a thing as well. And so in the midst of all of those kinds of things, when I recognize, Hey, I'm going through a, a time of grief, you know, sometimes there's been counselors that have helped me with this. I mean, count, counseling, God bless it. Thank God for it. Because if you don't have a, a good friend, um, and even if you do, you know, counseling can be helpful, but especially if you don't, if you don't have anybody in your life who knows how to deal with this stuff, at least there's people who've been trained that you can pay <laughs> to like help you deal with this, some of this stuff. But counselors have been, have done this for me. They just, and what they do is they allow me space to talk. Mm-hmm. They allow me space to process. They allow me space to cry and not, you know, they're not trying to fix anything. They're, they're listening. I mean, I have, I have friends who do this for me as well. Uh, and it's the same thing. They don't try to fix me. They don't, they, they're not uncomfortable sitting with me. You know, like sometimes, I, I can tell that somebody else is uncomfortable with me sharing this vulnerably mm. and that's not helpful. You know what I mean? They're mm. feeling anxious and that's why they want to shut it down or make me feel better or convince me it's not as bad as I think it is, you know, mm. uh, that kind of thing. So, so it's people who know how to let me, they don't try to fix me. They, they allow me to kind of feel what I'm feeling. They don't try to make me feel better. They don't give me a pep talk. Um, I, I think physical presence is important in this. Um, you know, we're in the midst of COVID and I'm having all kinds of, you know, stresses and realizations about that. Um, just because physical presence is the very thing that, you know, is dangerous now. And so that's, that's 
it's a hard thing to, to grapple with. But, um, you know, grief is a, it, it, I think it's a physical process. I think being in physical proximity um, it has been really helpful. People who, who will just come over to my house, mm-hmm. you know, sit with me, mm-hmm. share a beverage mm-hmm. uh, of choice, you know, um, and I don't know. I don't know what kind of beverages are okay for your listeners, but whatever I think our, our listeners uh, enjoy a wide variety of beverages. <laughs> I'm quite sure. Yeah, that's we, right. We would call that a scruple. So you know, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. You know, whatever. You know, we've got uh, people all over the map in our church, and so, but yeah, you know, whatever comforting beverage, and just sit, you know, and talk. Mm-hmm. And so, there is a there is a sense I think in which presence, um, mirroring back, receiving someone's experience, and not critiquing it, judging it, or trying to fix it it makes a huge difference mm. just to, just to know like, Oh, you see me. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, if I, if I share something with somebody and they, what I get the message I receive back from them in their body, in their tone, in their words is I see you yeah. and I'm with you. Like that's enough. That's all you need to do. Actually. Mm-hmm. That's enough. Man, that's really great. And not just because my wife's a professional mental health therapist. Um, so. <laughs> right. everybody, everybody go to therapy. Yeah. Everybody go to therapy. Um, yeah. I, I hope you follow this, but just you have me thinking, uh, you interviewed mm-hmm. N.T. Wright, um, a yeah. great theologian. And yeah. one of the things that he said that just it's, I've been reflecting on it a ton, is he said, followers of Jesus when there was a pandemic, when there was a crisis, mm-hmm. they asked what, not why. And yep. I've just been thinking about that, and I'm even thinking about it with this topic. Um, mm. So like when we talk about the Bible, um, mm. I think of all the verses that we wanna throw, like all things work yeah. together for good. And mm-hmm. so I guess, you know, maybe that question isn't applicable, but do you see some connections between the early church saying, hey, what versus why? Because there's yeah. also people here that, you know, they've experienced racism. They're experiencing the mourning. It's yeah. not just people that, hey, fix your problem. So in mm-hmm. thinking of that framework, what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, yeah, gosh, my, my mind goes to a lot of places. Maybe I'll start here. I think what, you know, first of all, what you're referring to in that interview um our impulse tends to be something bad happens, you know, a global pandemic, a coronavirus, you know, protests in the streets, all this police brutality, um, you know, natural disaster. Our tendency seems to be to ask the question about why God did this or why God allowed this or why is this happening? There's kind of this past speculate, there's speculation about the past. Um, but what N.T. Wright is saying in that interview is that the early Christians didn't really speculate about the past. Um, instead they just said, they looked at the present and the future and said, what do we need to do to be the body of Christ? What do we do? Mm. And I think it's a much, I think it's a very helpful framework. And I think, I think one of the differences is that there, I think our theological outlook has been, has been, I mean, there's a, there's a whole history here that we probably can't get into, but, um, I think that we tend to assume that God is meticulously controlling every outcome. And we think that there has to be some reason why bad things are happening. I think the early, and that, that's a function of, gosh, probably all kinds of stuff, but I think it's a function of privilege. It's a function of affluence. Like we're used to life being pretty smooth. Mm. And so when a bad thing happens, we think, 
oh, like world's ending. Like why, why has, why has God, you know, done this to us? But, you know, as N.T. Wright points out, that's actually a pagan idea. It's the right. pagans who thought, oh, my goodness, you know, this terrible storm came through. What did we do to anger Zeus? You know, why did this happen? And what sacrifices now do we need to make to make sure that we placate the gods? And it's ironic that, we, you know, modern Christians, I mean, we tend to think about God that way. Like, oh, gosh, who, did, who was God mad at that the coronavirus came? Um, but that's a pagan idea. The early Christians trusted in the goodness of God. That was just, that was the bare minimum. Like, of course God's good. Like, look at what he's done for us in Christ. And so they trusted in the goodness of God and they were not surprised by bad things happening because bad things happened all the time. Right. (laughs) Bad things happened all the time. And they didn't reach for this pagan idea that the gods must be appeased or there must be some reason that this is happening. Instead, they were like, no, God's at work in the midst of this. How do we participate? How does a God of love and goodness what does that God do and how do we as the body of Christ, who is that God, right? How do we participate in that kind of flourishing, that kind of goodness, even in the midst of this disaster? Mm. I think it's just a a much more healthy outlook and much less pagan. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. Yeah. That's, that's, that's an added bonus. It's always good when you can get a little bit less pagan every day. There you go. Yeah. You know, I just got done taking a (laughs) uh, seminary class uh, called suffering, pain and evil. Oh, oh, just a just a hoot and a holler is what that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a couple. Yeah, light subject. Yeah, yeah, just just light, you know, fun. And and, and a mm-hmm. lot of the things we were talking about is kind of what you were just referencing. You know, kind of our mental right. framework right. of of how to deal with suffering and pain and evil in the world, and where you know how, what are we attributing all of that to, and and the yeah. way that our our comfort plays into that. So I think on one level we have this intellectual response, right? Which is, mm-hmm. which we intellectually, we try to have a framework that we can move forward with. But then, and it doesn't always line up. It's kind of interesting. There's also a pastoral response, as I will, will call it, but but kind of mm-hmm. more of a practical response to, to yeah. suffering, pain, yeah. and evil. Um, what do you think, as you think through those things, you know, personally, as a pastor, as somebody who ministers in the lives of others, what do you think is the, maybe the top two, three, four things that you can think about and you go, this is, this is what it's like to, to do this well. Um, I'm just going to interrupt John, because I have a follow up question to that. And just because I just love where you're going, John, Mm. I would even ask it so specific. Um, We've had a few conversations like there was a, about a 24 hour period after George Floyd died that everybody was at the mm-hmm. table. And I guess my question is besides the pastoral, what are the two or three things? If you were to go back to that moment and say, Hey, if the church knowing that mourning and grieving is part of the Christian walk, how should have the church responded? I guess I'd add that there too in that 24 hours that everybody was at the table um, so yeah, I don't know. Does that go? Is yeah. That yeah. I think that, that, and they could be the same answer actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I'll, I'll take a stab at this. Um, and let, let me know if this is, I guess, landing where, where you were asking. Um, I, I think one of the ways that, um, I think is important to, to lead in, in moments like that is um, 
to tell the truth about what happened mm. without, without fear of, and this, I mean, this, this is a, a wider issue, but like, like everything is so politicized and antagonistic right now, you know, in America to the point where, I mean, we've even done this with a pandemic, like a pandemic that's trying to kill all of us. We've somehow managed to make wearing a face mask like a political point, you know, it's like, or not wearing a face, you know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's amazing. So I think there's courage is needed. I'm, I'm saying this because I think as leaders, courage is needed to say, Hey, I know that my words may be misinterpreted mm. by people who think I'm trying to make an ideological or political point, but I, I can't let that keep me from pro, like telling the truth about what happened here. So I, I have to tell the truth, whether I'm afraid, you know, and people are all over the map on this, right? There might be some pastors who are, they're afraid that if they tell the truth about what happened to George Floyd, if they say the words systemic racism, like if they say things like that, that there will be, you know, they're, they're going to be branded as some sort of liberal, you know, that kind of a thing. And I, you know, probably the same way, the other, the other direction as well. So I think it's, it's really important to just tell the truth about it. Um, and you know, I'll say this for, for me as a, as a white person who pastors a predominantly white church. I think the other thing that we have to, uh, you know, if we could go back there and, you know, process that again, one of the tendencies I'm noticing about my whiteness and the way that I've been, and David Swanson, who I mentioned earlier, talks uh, really, really well about this, about how we've been discipled into whiteness. We've been discipled into these racialized kind of categories without really cognitively understanding it. We don't know that we're being discipled into it, but we are, we're been socialized into it. And so we have been discipled into it. And one of the things about, I think the way that I, especially as a white man that I've been discipled is I tend to think that I have ideas and solutions and th like ways to fix things. And so, um, I think another, another helpful, another helpful thing to do, I think in moments like that, or maybe if we were go, to go back in time is to resist the urge to jump to solutions, mm. like resist the urge to say, we have to do something about this. And Hey, now that the white people are here, like something good's going to, you know, like mm. we have to resist that urge because, and, uh, you know, do more listening, I think, mm. um, and more repenting. Mm. Um, and so, you know, less, less solutions, uh, less bombast, you know, less kind of rallying the troops, I think more lamenting, more repenting, mm. more sitting in the dust, you know, for a few days. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I love what you're saying about the, the truth, like speaking the truth and sometimes even mm -hmm. just speaking the truth about what you see another person yeah. is experiencing is, yeah. is so powerful. Like you mentioned counseling before. I, I remember, yeah, um, you know, going to you know, Peter and I, big fans of therapy, big fans. So, uh, <laughs> not just cause I'm married to one, not so just yeah, because, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, it's impacted both of our lives. And I, and yeah. I remember sitting in a counselor's office, one of the first times I went and after a while, him listening to my story, he just kind of paused and said, John, you're hurting. And it was like the mm. first time I think I'd heard anybody like utter those words to me that mm. they saw what I was going through and saying, and just yeah. simply saying, acknowledging the truth, like you're hurting yeah. that yes. 
I, I sat there and I didn't want to receive it at first. I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, but da 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 da, da. and then I, I kind of did this thing. Everybody, yeah, everybody hurts. hurts. Yeah, yeah. REM, yeah. right? Uh, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I I I kind of, but but then about 15, 20 minutes later, it hit me like a ton of bricks that, oh my goodness, yeah. this is true. And I just started weeping, mm. you know, yeah, but yeah. it was the first time that somebody had yeah. acknowledged my hurt. And sometimes I think it's just a matter of speaking the truth about what we see someone, the pain that someone else is yeah. going through that can be so yeah. significant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're right. It, it, and it feels like, sometimes it feels like an obvious thing, you know, like that doesn't need to be said, mm. but, there's such power in that connection that you make with someone when you see their pain, you see something that's happening inside of them and you are able to see it and speak it to them. Like, and they're, they feel seen. Mm -hmm. They'd realize, Oh, the thing that's happening in me is real. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know that. I think this is why solitary confinement is considered a form of torture. Like, I don't know that we really know who we are and what's happening unless we do have people in our life who can look at us and say, oh, I see you. Mm. I see what's happening in you. I see when you're hurting. I can see you're really happy about that. Like, I think we need that, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know the science behind that, but I, I'm sure there is some mirror neurons and things like that. It feels like I've read something like that. But I, I think we need that, you know, with one another. And, and, you know, especially when it comes to grief, when especially when it comes to like these, and especially, uh, generations, right? Mm. Hundreds of years of grief right. that have been, and I, I'm just getting into this now, but I, uh, I ordered a book that's out of print. Um, there's a lot of black authors whose books are out of print now because they're being ordered, which I rejoice in. Mm. But, um, uh, it's called my grandmother's hands by, uh, uh I'm going to forget his name. Anyway, just look up that book, uh, my grandmother's hands, but he's a trauma therapist and he talks about how through epigenetics, Mm -hmm. um, you guys heard of this where yes. you can actually yeah. pass trauma yep. to like the trauma that I've experienced goes to my kids through my DNA and my, and then like, so we've got these generations of people of color that there's generational trauma that's never been dealt with. Mm -hmm. And so in a very real sense, like the black and brown bodies that are walking around today are carrying generations of trauma around in their bodies. So when they see George Floyd die, you know, online on a, on a cell phone video, it, it strikes that trauma nerve. It's like, this is the situation. This is what we've been dealing with. And it, you know, I think as, you know, as, as a white person, I think my job in the midst of that is to listen to that trauma and reflect back, you know, and say, like you said, you're hurting, right? you know, and I'm sorry. It, you know? it, it gets me thinking, um, you know, Browncroft, we're uh, the church that uh, sponsors this podcast with us. I mean, we're in a relatively suburban area. We probably are very similar mm -hmm. to the church in Indianapolis, yeah. but, you know, yeah. we've we've grown more diverse and um, that just means more stories. And so, I'll, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll never forget, um, I'm sitting down with a friend who moved here from a different country and just... Um, so like our banner for Rochester is this grocery store called Wegmans. I don't know if you've heard of it, but uh, mm -mm, no. uh, it's it's like what we, it's our pride and joy. And besides the garbage plate. Besides the garbage, but yeah. we won't go there. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> he's uh, he's sitting with me and, you know, he's telling me his experience of moving to America 
you know, and thinking this is the place of promise. This is, and mm -hmm. he's worked so hard in everything that he's done. And he's yeah. saying, I just want to go to Wegmans and not get stared at. Like, oh, I yeah. just, I just want to go to Wegmans and, and be a part of the community. I, I want to go to Wegmans and like people like acknowledge and say hello to me. Um, mm. And if you knew who he was, he's, he's got the biggest smile. His family is yeah. just wonderful. Like his kids yeah. are like these, I mean, they, they're, they're full of so much joy and to like sit, I mean, <clears throat> I'm almost tearing up talking about it, mm -hmm. but like, I look back at that moment and I just felt so helpless. Like, you know, yeah. I, I remember saying like, I don't know if this is stupid or what, but I was like, I'm going to go to Wegmans with you. And you know, really when we go back to that conversation, cause I was like my gut, like there was something healing about the both of us sitting at the church in tears and, yeah. and like, uh, and maybe this is like a free therapy session right now, but like, it's, <laughs> those are the moments that you begin to see, like you get past, I like what you're saying. We've been discipled to be white where it, mm -hmm. like you need a couple of those moments to kind of just yeah. it yes read books yes listen mm -hmm. to podcasts but it's in that where you realize there's there's something going on here and yeah. i don't necessarily have everything to fix it yes yeah 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 and i think it's important to, to recognize you know when i when i talk about discipled into whiteness i'm not I'm not talking about the color of our skin, right? I'm talking about this ideology. Sure. I'm talking about the way that we've learned. We've essentially learned, you know, I mean, the, the, the stark way to put it is that what we've been discipled into is that some people are more human than others, right? Anybody who qualifies as white, and that's been a shifting target over the history of it, if you know anything about that, anybody who qualifies as white is more human than, than other people. Um, and that's the hierarchy we've been trained into. It's, you know, it's, it's part of, you know, and I think it just, it, it, it requires some humility for us to recognize that it doesn't mean we're supposed to just walk around and beat ourselves up, but feel bad about ourselves. It just means, um, you know, if we're, if we're comfortable saying, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, we should be comfortable saying, I'm just a racist who's learning not to be one, you know, like we should be comfortable saying that that's a, that's a specific way of sinning. Right. Um, so if we can be a general sinner, we can be a specific sinner. Um, and I think, I think there's all it requires is humility to say, Hey, I've been discipled into this. And so I, I'm learning to be discipled out of it by Jesus, but I'm going to make mistakes. And I'm asking you if you would tell me when I make one mm -hmm. and I will repent and I hope you can forgive me. Mm -hmm. Like that's it. That's as simple as that. You know, yeah. that's all, that's the humility. That's, and then, you know, if, if a mistake gets pointed out, then, then repent. You know what I mean? Right. Say you're sorry. Don't yeah. argue with it. Yeah, it seems so simple what you're saying, but yeah. there is such a humility that's required to do that. Yeah. You know, and yeah. um and I hope that we get more of it. I, I really do. Me too. I, I Me hope too. that that becomes the norm, that people start to experience that more and more. Um because yeah. I think that's who Jesus is, you know. Yes. Um, yeah, amen. So, uh, you know, Peter and I always uh, end this podcast by asking what Jesus would say about this topic. I, I do want to get there, but um, okay. before before even that question, I, I, I'm wondering if maybe you could speak to 
to people who are listening to this podcast and they've been hanging in there and they they are going through grieving right now in mm-hmm. their life. Yeah. And they yeah. are in the midst of a really painful time. It certainly could mm-hmm. be what we're referring to uh, with all that's going on in our country with race. Yeah. Certainly yeah. could be um, those people. If so, I'm so thankful that you're listening right now. Um, it could be other things too, like deaths in the family or or whatever it is across the spectrum. What what would you say to those people mm-hmm. who are listening right now who are in the midst of grief? Yeah. I, I would say one, uh, I'm sorry that you're going through this. <laughs> um, I would say don't, I would say allow yourself to feel it mm. like you're not, I mean, I think there's a, there's a trauma response. I think in some of us that feels like if we let ourselves feel this grief, we're going to get swallowed up by it. Mm-hmm. We're going to be eaten up by the pain. We're going to disappear. We're going to die. Um, so I want to say you're not, you're not going to die. Mm-hmm. You, you need to feel that that pain, you won't be overwhelmed. So allow yourself to feel it, resist the urge to numb, to distract, you know, you know, that's, that's the other thing beverages are good for is distracting or numbing, you know, from mm-hmm. our pain. Uh, so resist that urge and allow yourself to feel it when it comes. And it's not, it's not going to be predictable. Oftentimes, sometimes it'll come at an inconvenient moment. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I remember when my, uh, my wife was, when our, our oldest son is uh, 22 and he moved out of the house, uh, fairly recently. And he, um, you know, when, when my wife was grocery shopping and realizing that she didn't need to pick up this little snack that was like one of his favorites, it's the only reason we got it is he, he ate it. She just starts breaking down crying in the grocery store because mm-hmm. she just realized, Oh my gosh, this, my life is changing here. That's one of those little griefs. So just let yourself feel it. I think is the first thing, uh, rather than numbing or distracting. Um, maybe another thing it would be, I, I have grown uh, in the past year in my appreciation of the Psalms, I would say pray the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what they're there for. Mm. Uh, when we pray the Psalms every day, we have a rhythm of praying the Psalms. I'd encourage you to find, find some, you know, cycle of Psalm readings and pray every day, pray the Psalms, pray through the Psalms. What that a third, I think that number is about a third of the Psalms are angry Psalms. Mm. They're like ticked off at life, ticked off at God, confused about what's going on. You know, uh, I'm in pain down here, Lord, and you don't seem to be doing anything about it. I love that these are in the Bible. Mm -hmm. This is like God authorizing us to chew him out every once in a while. Like God can handle it. It's okay. This is a authorized way to pray. So pray the Psalms. I'd say out loud, you know, (laughs) um, maybe very loudly if you Mm -hmm. need to. Um, It teaches us what to do with our grief, praying the Psalms. Um, that a lot of us want to stuff it or distract ourselves from it. But what we do with our grief is we take our pain right into the heart of God. And the Psalms are a a wonderful way of doing that. Just take it right to God's heart and tell him whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Believing that he's number one, he can handle it. Number two, he's good. He's not going to smite you. Uh, He's, he's put them in the Bible. That's what they're there for. Um, Even, even if you have, and I want to say like, you know, Psalm 137 is like one of the worst petitions ever. Right. I uh, wish you'd take the mm-hmm. babies of our enemies and smash their heads against the rock and you know, all that kind of stuff. So like, even if what comes out of you is ugliness, mm-hmm. even if what's comes out of you is a desire for revenge, the best place to put that is on God's desk. Mm-hmm. You know, like pray the Psalms, say, Lord, I have a few requests. Here's what I would like you to do for my enemies mm-hmm. and I'm submitting it to you. 
we can trust God to do what's good. Um, I can't trust myself to know what's good, but God can handle even kind of my ugly uh, stuff that I want. And so that's the second thing. I'd say pray the Psalms. And I think the third thing is try to find someone that you can share this with. We've been talking about the importance of that physical proximity. Um, if you have a friend who knows how to listen, God bless you. It is a rare capacity um, for some reason. Um, but suffering, this is KJ Ramsey again. She says in her book, um, suffering must be shared, witnessed, and heard mm, in order for wow. it to be experienced as the fertile soil of Christ's kingdom. So for, for that to be healed, it has to be shared. It has to be witnessed. Somebody has to see it and say that they see it. If you have a friend like that, share it with them. If you don't, find a counselor, find a therapist, find mm. somebody that you can share this with. Um, so, but be on the lookout for people who seem to know how to do this stuff. Yeah. So wise, so good, uh, really practical advice on that. Um, well, I think, you know, certainly we've hit this in different different angles throughout our time together, but I do think it would be good to kind of put a bow on it and and just kind of one last time maybe remind ourselves what Jesus would say about grieving with others. Um, Peter, do you want to go first? or you Sure. Go first um you know, Ben, as you were talking throughout this whole podcast and John, you know, just being very real, there's there's two scenes that just keep popping in my head. And um, the first scene is after Job complains in the Bible, like his friends are silent with him. And it's like this beautiful picture of friendship. And then they open their mouths. Um, <laughs> and when it they, all goes bad, it yeah. all goes downhill. They yeah. open their mouths yeah, yeah. and they tell Job what he's done wrong. And they yeah. think that God yeah. must be angry. And, and then I jump to the picture in Jesus greatest moment of pain. Um, he's asking his disciples to come and pray with him and they fall asleep. Yeah. yeah. And, um, there's just a couple things like, so the first thing is this, like, Jesus knows what it's like to be in pain and to mourn and to grieve and feel like no one understands him. And I just think that that's huge. Jesus also is truthful and gracious enough to deal with the stupidity of things that are said that aren't helpful. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about grief on multiple levels. So, you know, for those of you that have lost loved ones, like there are people that say things that just are not helpful. And I, I don't need to go that far in social media to see those of you that are grieving and mourning the losses of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, and Ahmed Arbery, and, and the list goes on. And we say their names because it is a form of grieving and remembering. And I, I guess I, I'd start here with everybody that that Jesus comes and meets us in our grief and our pain, not as someone that's just going to slap a solution, but the the perfect friend to sit with us and cry and mourn. And, and I hope that for those of you that are listening, wherever you are, that that you experience that. And that's what Jesus is calling us to experience in this time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, good really, word. really good word, Peter. I, I I love that Jesus is acquainted with our grief. He knows it, um, and I, I my mind is we're having this conversation. It's it's going to Corinthians where Paul talks about we comfort others with the comfort that we've received, 
And um, I think for those of us who are grieving, first of all, we need to know that there is comfort. We need to know that there is hope. Um, so if, if that's who you are today, I just want to let you know that there is hope. There is comfort to be found in Jesus, as Peter was just talking about. But then for those of us who, who have leaned into the process of grief in our lives and who maybe have experienced comfort on some level or another, I would say it's then our responsibility to, to take that comfort and to comfort others in that same way. It's not enough just to experience it on our own, but then it's to extend that same comfort and hope to the people in our lives mm. who are hurting. So mm. that's where my mind yeah. goes with this. Ben, yeah. we'll let you have the Another final Another good word. Say. Yeah. Well, that, that's great. I'm, I'm getting saved uh, and blessed over here uh, just listening to you guys uh, prophesy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys believe in that, but that's what's happening right now. Sure. I grew up um, Pentecostal. It's all right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is great. I did, I did too. I grew up uh, charismatic. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would, my mind goes to what Jesus did say. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Mm. Um, and we don't, we don't often think about people who are sad as being blessed. We don't think, oh man, you know, wow, <laughs> you know, God's really blessing them. But I think that Jesus says that, you know, we have a, one of our axioms at Gravity Leadership is that God is so real that he meets us right where we really are. Mm. that's the, and actually it's the only place he really can meet us. Mm. He doesn't meet us in our regrets or in our hopes about the future. He meets us right now in the present moment, whatever that is. So I think that's why the poor, uh, that, that's why those who mourn are blessed is because uh, when we are willing to just be right where we are, mm-hmm. if we're sad, it means that God meets us there. And so I think I would, you know, say, Hey, being sad isn't the worst thing that could happen to you. Mm. and Jesus meets us in our sadness. Jesus' presence is the answer to our sadness, even if the circumstances don't change. Um, and so I, I, I guess I would just encourage folks to think of, you know, rather than trying to beg God to do something for you, trust that he's there, trust that he's at work, and open your hands and ask him, you know, to meet you in mm. the midst of your sadness. And I, I think as, as we do that, we can't but meet the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that if we're willing to just engage in that and trust that he'll meet us there so mm-hmm. Well, folks, um, we are so glad to have Ben Sternkey with us. He, um, you can find out more about Ben at the Gravity Leadership uh, podcast, but also their website. They have a whole organization, um, gravityleadership.com. He's also on uh, Twitter and Facebook. And uh, just a little pro tip, he does... Um, Every so often on Fridays, he sends a list of links to follow. So if you go to gravityleadership.com, you can sign up there. It's a great uh, weekend reading for you on Fridays. And uh, we are so glad and honored um, for those of you that have joined us. Remember, you can use the hashtag WGW podcast. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, also, we are at whygodwhypodcast.com. Thank you so very much. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.